This is Project Leap, the podcast for doers. Stream to all your favorite podcast platforms as well as online at www.project-leap.com.au and via all the usual socials. Today, we take you on a journey to meet the innovators and entrepreneurs of regional, rural and remote Australia. Your presenters, Meredith Pappas and Tara Jacobson-Nethan, are both seasoned regional entrepreneurs and doers in their own right. Now, sit back as Meredith and Tara help tell these fascinating stories of innovation and inspiration, all from the people who have found beyond the big city limits, making great things happen right across the farthest reaches of Australia. These are the people who have taken the leap. And now, here's Meredith and Tara. Well, welcome everyone to another great edition of Project Leap. Thank you for sticking with us. We've got a wonderful group of you all that are coming along for our ride and our journey. It's wonderful. Now, I've I have to say this before we get into it. We have had all kinds of fun and games getting this podcast together. I'll let Tara introduce our guest, but it's Christine Weston today. But for, before I throw to Tara, g'day Tara, my co-presenter, Tara, hey, Tara Jacobson-Nevin. <laughs> How are you? What a journey it's been this morning to get on. It has so much so I didn't introduce myself. I'm sorry, everyone. Meredith Pappas. Um, so Tara and I have put together Project Leap, as our frequent um, audience would know. And uh, welcome back to those who have been following us and a very big welcome if you're a first-time listener. So, look, we have, we've had all kinds of dramas this morning. It's taken us over an hour to get a decent NBN uh, connection um, so that we can speak to our wonderful guest. Um, and when Tara introduces her, you will know why. Before we do that, though, I just want to throw a big shout out to our partners and sponsors, A Thousand Invisible Threads, Amanda Powell Digital. Now, massive, massive kudos to Amanda. She's responsible for our website and has given us heaps of guidance on our social media as well. So, thanks, Amanda. Amanda, um, iScribe Consulting, Kaizen Media, who have been incredible in their guidance of us in setting up the, the podcast, and also Purple Wax. Daryl at Purple Wax is our wonderful producer. So thank you to all of them. Um, and Tara, let's have a bit of a listen to um, what Christine's all about and her wonderful journey. Well, you know, given that it's taken us out again on this podcast this morning, mm. I'm really looking forward to talking to Christine around, um, you know, the whole thing around uh, adversity, converting adversity to opportunity, and that's pretty much what we've done this morning, an hour of trying to get a connection. <laughs> Anybody else would have given up, but not Christine. She drove into town to get a decent connection to actually join us on this interview. So let me introduce uh, Christine. Christine, I've actually known for, oh, we were just talking about it before, but I reckon a couple of years, probably five years, I think we met maybe five years ago at one of the um, women's uh, conferences in Sydney. And I didn't know it at the time when I met this wonderful lady, but uh, she was actually getting awarded um, the New South Wales Women of the Year Award um, actually at that event. But we, we'd hit it off about sort of, you know, probably half an hour, a couple of hours beforehand and we just didn't stop talking. And then I didn't realise that she was actually the guest in the evening. So she is absolutely an incredible lady. Uh, Christine actually started out as a secondary school art teacher and then went on to a career in international marketing and has done an incredible um, 
incredible, uh, a lot of work in this space. And actually she was just saying that she works with clients all over the world in direct marketing. And she, from her farm in Cumnock in central West New South Wales, she actually meets with clients via Skype. Um, you know, given the challenges of our internet, that's not bad at all. Um, but really what we want to talk to Christine about today is the journey that she's gone on um, to sort of try and bring some attention to Cumnock in central west New South Wales uh, with some of the, the projects that she's actually taken on. Um, one of the things that um, I discovered when I actually drove out to Cumnock to spend some time with Christine was this incredible um, uh, tourist trail that actually heads out through, uh, through Cumnock and it's called Animals on Bikes and we will share that website link when we post, uh, post the podcast. But the other thing that um, Christine has done is she was the sort of driver of creating the rent a farmhouse for a dollar. Uh, and we'll talk to Christine more about how both those projects came about. And one of the key things was very much uh, the fact that Cumnock, um, in the, the road changed around Cumnock in terms of the relation to the Dubbo Zoo. And so, you know, in terms of driving back people to that area and to the region, these were some of the projects that she brought in. Um, Christine is skilled in not-for-profit, public, public, sorry, public and not-for-profit startups and multinational companies, electronic retailing, product development, international business management, custom acquisition and multi-channel strategy. She's an amazing innovator. Um, manages events. She's actually just come off the back of being the secretary of the Come Knock Show. And the other program that she actually runs out of that area is Opera in the Wool Shed. So she's super amazing. She has an international career, yet she actually makes the place she lives, um, you know, a pretty amazing little region. So welcome, Christine, and thank you so much for persisting with the internet today. <laughs> thank you, Tara, and thank you, Meredith. Pleasure. Oh, look, the pleasure's all ours, honestly. And we were just talking off air about some of the, some of the um, issues that, you know, business people, wherever they are in regional, rural and remote Australia and the kinds of uh, challenges and adversity that they're up against, everything from, I mean, we've just experienced NBN firsthand, um, but also, you, you know, the changes in population and the urbanisation of Australia and the fact that there's been so much focus on people going to the big cities, um, but then also changes in policy and changes in, you know, focus with different organisations like we're seeing the ACTU at the moment making a really big focus on, um, on businesses of all all sizes. So, look, my first question to you is how how do you get through? There is so much being chucked at small business at the moment and businesses of all sizes. How do you just get up every day and keep going? Um, well, yeah, that's definitely a challenge when you live in, you know, regional remote um, New South Wales or regional remote Australia. I mean, Cumnock, we're located five hours west of Sydney. Um, I mean, from a little town, only 285 people. Um, the larger towns, cities that you may be aware of is Orange, Dubbo and Parks. They're about, we're in the middle of those three. Um, and we're about an hour away from the Dubbo Zoo. So it, it is, it's definitely a big challenge, um, to, to wake up and, and keep going. But I guess I was fortunate enough to be born in the country, born in parks. So I've had it all my life. So I haven't actually really known, um, too much more. Um, but it's always, I guess, living in a, in a small town that's rural reliant with no industry is always going to be a challenge for any small village or small country town in Queensland, you know, Western Australia, any, anywhere in Australia, I, I think. But it's, um, I think when you surround yourself by motivated, optimistic people and, um, and you know, you're passionate about keeping your village alive. I mean, I, I do believe there's a, a strong woman in every single town in Australia that have the same passions as I do. And that is you, you want to sort of 
keep your school and you want to keep your school bus run and you want to keep all of the, the, the I guess, the industries and the little the towns going um, um, for the children and for your own farming families. On that note, Christine, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I know there's two major projects amongst many of your um, things that you've done. I'm really interested to hear more about the $1 farmhouse. So how did that come about and uh, why, why did you feel like you needed to create that? That sort of happened when um, I took our twin boys into preschool uh, when they're about four and it was sort of a bit of a realization I was thinking gosh we're you know what's happening where is everybody and you know they were talking about the school bus may not um, survive because they didn't have enough kids on the bus and there wasn't enough kids at the primary school so you know it was something that I was sort of aware aware of um, my grandfather his school closed um, out near um, parks Wongali and my sister's husband's his school never tie closed so I was very aware of these small regional schools closing if they didn't have enough pupils so um, it was it was actually one time when I was at the preschool the um, one of the mothers came up and said oh there was this great story on Rachel Treasure last night and she wrote um, Jillaroo and uh, she was talking she lives in Tasmania and she was talking about renting her house her house out for a dollar and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So anyway, I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I called her and, you know, it turned out that she was at Orange Ags College and uh, she was had all of these people from all around Australia ringing her up and uh, wanting to move into her house for a dollar because she was trying to save the local school. So then I started thinking about it on a much broader level and thought, oh, gosh, there's about 15 empty houses around here. You know, perhaps we can just sort of rent it for a dollar. And because I was from a home shopping television marketing background, no, I was very aware of, you know, I guess, the marketing ploy of a dollar. Like even Jetstar, you know, you can buy a ticket for a dollar as long as you join our MasterCard um, Jetstar group. So, you know, there's a, it's sort of the old-fashioned one dollar trying to attract attention, but there's, you know, much deeper meaning for it at the end of the day. So, so anyway, after I spoke to Rachel, I thought, I'm going to do this. So started speaking to people in the community and we sort of gathered a whole group of us that wanted to, you know, keep save the school. Uh, we wanted to save our teacher. We wanted to save the bus ride. We wanted to save the cafe. Uh, and we just wanted to keep everyone. So, you know, it sort of blew out of proportions. Next thing you know, we had a current affair at our doorstep. So it was sort of um, something that, you know, I think it shocked me how much media attention it got. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just a beautiful story where, you know, we set out with this goal. Um, we did, we took all the right steps. Um, and we, we managed to keep the school open. And, you know, here we are. 10 years down the track and, you know, we still, the school's still open, we've still got the bus run, we've still got cafes and there's other businesses opening up. So, you know, rent a farmhouse is still going to this day. I've got 25,000, um, uh, I guess, subscribers to the newsletter. So, um, you know, there's always little towns around Australia that will call me and say, okay, I need help. Can you um, please advertise we've got a farmhouse and we need, you know, two children to keep our school open. So it's still going, not to such a capacity that it was, but it's still in existence. So, you know, I love the, the idea. Bernard Salt talks about, um, uh, you know, when people kind of settle, settle down roots for about four years, they generally stay. And he's the big driver to getting people out of the city and actually having motivations and intentions to get people into regions. Um, have you found over the 10 years of actually doing this that, uh, you know, these people have stayed or has it sort of been more a short-term thing? Well, I guess it was, yes, a social experiment when we first started because um, we had strict criteria. What were we going to do? You know, these people, they could have a $1 house. They could stay there for three years. But, you know, they had to be families with um, primary age children to go to our school. They had to be community-orientated people. So they had to be people that 
wanted to be part of Pony Club. They had wanted to be part of um, Little Athletics. They had to be sort of uh, volunteer their time. Number three, they had to have renovation schools, skills. So some of the houses were had been fallen down. So they had to be you know, a plumber or electrician or a builder or have interest. And then the fourth thing, they had to be ready for a tree change because so many people moving out of the city, you know, weren't aware that we were reliant on rainwater mm. um, and, you know, and that we had a septic. You know, you had to look after your own septic system. And so some of those things, you know. It was an education for them there really as well around how to live like this. That's right. So that, that four selection criteria, we sort of made it very clear up front. The people that moved into um, the $1 houses, they stayed there for three years. But the people that moved into um, rentals, like paying $150 a week because maybe, you know, the house didn't need fixing up or, um, you know, various things. They only stayed there for no more than 18 months. Mm. So they were gone. Um, but you know, the families, that's, the $1 families that stayed there for three years, you know, after three years, they then, they didn't go back to the city. They either relocated to, you know, Orange or Dubbo parts around where the high school sort of tended to move with the children. Um, there was two families that bought um, houses in our town. Oh, wow. So, you know, there was a big influx of um, skills and um, I mean, Little Athletics, we hadn't had Little Athletics going for about 20 years and a fellow moved down from the Gold Coast and um, he started up uh, Little Athletics again mm. and we had 65 children enroll in the, in the first, wow. first day. So, you a know, town of 230. I know. Oh, and they were coming from all the little towns around as well. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we had more children at Little Athletics than we did have at our, at our school. <laughs> <laughs> that's an incredible sense of building community, isn't it, from doing that? That's like what that. we're after. We're after skilled yeah. people and it's all about reinvigorating um, our little town. I mean, it's so easy, I think, to just step back and just go, oh, what will be will be. Mm. But I think the fact that we were so determined to, you know, try this insane idea of renting a farmhouse for a dollar to sort of look at the bigger picture and to, to build a stronger community for our children and our, our families. Just on that stronger community and your part in it, I mean, you have had an internationally prolific career. You have uh, an incredible breadth and depth of experience. Why stay? Why? Your passion for it is obvious, and I guess that's the obvious answer, but what lies beneath that? Scratch the surface a little bit for us. I think... Uh, after leaving parks and um, going overseas for eight years, you know, I gathered all of this knowledge and gathered all these marketing, advertising skills. When I met and married my farmer, I sort of came back in and realised that, you know, a lot of these regional remote areas needed help with their advertising and marketing, and it's one area that they lacked. So, you know, I already had the skills of media. I already had the skills of website development. I'd done press releases. So, you know, it was very easy for me to sort of take on some of these large projects and, um, you know, use the knowledge that I'd learned overseas, especially in, on an online capacity. So I was able to build a website for the rented farmhouse. I was able to build a website for the animals and bikes, website for opera in the wool shed and do um, data newsletters. So I guess, you know, my passion was to sort of, I guess, connect people and, and um, I guess reinvigorate these small towns. Um, and advertising and marketing for me is probably second nature. Mm. Everyone wants to be a part of it. They're just not sure how to – you just have to ask them and they'll say, yes, I'll help. What can I do? So, you know, it's very easy to, to gather interest and momentum in these small communities. Sorry. So with some of these smaller smaller towns, I know survival is at stake here, but you can have um, 
some of the naysayers? Do you know they're the ones that are the sticks in the mud maybe that, they, oh, this won't work? You know, you can almost hear the, the, the diatribe that will go with it. How do you turn them around? Uh, well, that was definitely a challenge at the beginning of the project, um, particularly for the older generation um, that had had bad tenants um, and they were saying, no, we're not, that's a silly idea. We're not going to do a dollar a week. We're not, we don't want to be involved um, and step away. And I guess that was a sort of one of the learning curves. And I thought, right, I can't go to the older generation because they really uh, don't get it. I have to go to the people um, that also had preschool children and also had primary school and they were sort of the children of the, the grandparents and then they could understand and they wanted to maintain it. So I guess at that, once we recognised the people that we were sort of were going to be on our side um, and not all of the houses came forward, you know, that some people just stood, stood back and watched. Um, and then once they saw the people, that, the calibre of people that were arriving to the town, um, you know, we increased our population of our town by 15%, which was insane. Um, and then, you know, that sort of has a knock-on effect because then we had you know, the telecommunication, the Optus Tower arrived, we had council put new bitumen, we had our roads fixed up. Um, so we had all of this sort of knock-on effect. So then that's when we managed to get some of the, um, you know, the older generation saying, oh, okay, well, that wasn't such a bad idea. But it always is, you know, it's really hard to, you know, keep going when you mm. do have people saying, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. You know, I think that's a wrong idea. But, you know, I, I was, we were very careful at doing the, the right research at the beginning. And you know, I remember going into um, the little general store and saying, you know, what sort of person do you think we should, you know, what sort of family should we get? And, uh, and Geraldine said, well, I just want people that um, don't head off to the big cities with these big flash jobs because they don't come in and buy their milk and bread here, they buy them in the big towns. Mm. I want people that, you know, uh, want to stay in the town, maybe someone that doesn't have a, have a car licence. <laughs> so then I wandered, then wandered down to the Cumnock pub and I said to the, the public <laughs> and I was like, what sort of people do you think you want in town? Because I just want the drinkers and the smokers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different type of uh, demographic. <laughs> I know. So, you know, and then you go up to the schools. So, you know, everybody has their own opinion and, you know, their own direction. And it's, I mean, that was part of the challenge. But, you know, I think because we did it as a community group, you know, come not progress, we got together and, and tried to, you know, it's hard to please everybody, but... Um, you know, we just had to focus on the school. The school, if we can get primary age kids in with families and fathers or wives that are motivated, you know, that's all. We just had to sort of narrow it right down to that. And, and it worked, thankfully. Just on that um, Come Not Progress Society, is, did, that, did that actually exist before this? Or, um, you know, because a lot of towns now are like losing things like CWA and Progress Societies and is that sort of how did that come about? Uh, yes, Progress has been, um, yeah, been there for a long time. So, yeah, they they do a brilliant job, um, mm-hmm. I guess, maintaining um, different areas, whether it's the sports ovals or, you know, tourist trails and things like that. But um, every little town, I guess, has got a Progress. But you're right, I've seen, um, you know, Red Cross close. I've seen, you know, the churches close. I've seen CWA closes. You know, it is happening mm. um, around the area and, I guess it is. It's sort of it's a sort of matter of like even like the Come Knock show. You know, it's ten years ago it was struggling, but I guess if you sort of give someone a job, say, can you please look after the needlework, or you know, can you please look after the poultry, especially if that's their interest. Um, you know, they're, they're right to go. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of giving handing them over that job. Yeah, <laughs> it's a job within itself. I think in in many small towns, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there laughing, going, 
oh my god <laughs> you have this, like other community kind of service role or a hat that you need to wear when you're living in these regional towns probably more so than what city people city folk do yes because it is i mean you're always constantly volunteering like even mm-hmm. the come show you know we've just had you know it's been a week of, of volunteers you know doing whippersnipping and painting fences and you know getting all the sections in place but i mean it's so lovely you know i think one of the, the highlights is the the big pavilion lunch that everybody comes down and you know they've all done the hard work and sit sit together and um, eat together and mm. share funny stories so you know, I think that's all part of you know the fact of keeping everyone together and you know the lawnmower race oh my goodness you know everyone was talking <laughs> about the lawnmower race we had people you know driving from afar just to watch the lawnmower race <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of fun as well so from one uh, one insane idea to another um you've sort of also were one of the creators or drivers I guess of animals on bikes and the tourist trail and I, I know that a big part of that came from the change in the road to the Dubbo Zoo is that right uh, yes, so it was probably a couple of years after the um, rent a farmhouse, and we, we had a lot of handy people. And then we thought, well, you know, we we need a bit of tourism happening down here mm. to maintain these businesses. Uh, so yes, our road, so from Mowalong to come up to Yeovil to the Dubbo Zoo, 120 kilometres. We thought, you know, why don't, why don't we put these sculptures um, on the side of the road? And you know, I can't take credit for any of these ideas. It's sort of like ideas that are borrowed. My husband worked as a jackaroo in Western Australia at a little town called Coolan and they have the Tin um, tin Horse Highway. They do, yep. The Tin Horse Highway makes all of these sculptures within area to attract them to the Coolan um, Picky Graces. Yep. So, you know, so it was, you know, we went over there and had a look at that and met some of his mates that he used to work with and then I was thinking, wow, this would be great. Let's do this over here. The only problem was I think theirs was 16 kilometres and ours was 120 <laughs> kilometres. <laughs> so it's a bit bigger project and we had to involve the four different towns and then it was over the, the two council areas and um, so that, that definitely had, you know, to build a, a two-metre paddock art sculpture in in someone's um, backyard or in a paddock, it started slowly. And because I was thinking, oh, I'll get all these famous sculptors and artists. But you know, when I started contacting them, they're saying, well, how much commission are you going to pay me? Mm-hmm. And I'm really busy. And then you know, that was sort of like, okay. Well, what are we going to do? And I mean, it was a weird timing because it was right when there was a, a drought and. Uh, and the farmers, you know, when we started saying to the farmers, you know, we'll give you a thousand. And this is what the cool and cool and um, I mean, it's all, it's all about getting good ideas from other areas and, you know, I guess utilizing it and changing it to adapt to your to your own. Yeah. But she said, all you have to do is offer a thousand dollars prize money. So that's what we did. So we offered a thousand dollars prize money. So the next thing you know, we had all these farmers in the pub instead of talking about, you know, did you have two meals of rain or one meal? Dreaming up animals on bikes. Talking about, oh, my sculpture is going to be two meters high, and someone else would say, no, my sculpture is going to be three meters high. So it became this sort of, you know, little contest between the, the local rugby clubs and the local men's sheds. So I guess I was a bit shocked at um, the community that got behind the project. And um, and what? So the first year we had forty sculptures appear, um, and now what are we? Sort of seven, eight years later, we've got one hundred and eleven sculptures wow. that appear along the um, along the ro- the route. So there's a map, isn't there? You can get a map somewhere, one of the tourist places, and you can kind of drive along and look for those animals. Is that right? Yes, yes. So there's a map and there's a wrapping paper, and um, yeah, I guess that's. There's lots of postcards. The councils have embraced it, so it's become very quirky. And you know, they they aren't designed by professionals. They're all designed by you know local community groups or farmers. 
Um, so it has been it has been a lot of fun, and there's lots of stories. And one one the Royal Easter Show in Sydney invited um, Hot Rod Henny that was made by um, a local family down to the poultry section. So we had you know Hot Rod Henny, the red chicken sitting outside the Royal Easter Show poultry. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> but you know it's funny. She's going. We've only made it to travel you know two k's into town. We haven't made it to travel <laughs> 350 kilometers into Sydney. So they had to do a bit, bit of extra welding. But no, it has been a wonderful journey and. You know, I think without the community, the positivity within the community, um, you know, these projects wouldn't have been achieved. There's a lot of, um, you know, fun and festivity. Uh, look, not notwithstanding all of the hard work that goes with these projects, but if we can go to a really serious issue now that's affecting a lot of people in rural, remote and regional communities, especially, as you mentioned, in times of drought, and you also mentioned the two, you know, down at the pub, the the rugby the rugby guys were were facing off against the men's shed guys, going, "Mine's bigger than yours." Um, but to be really serious, there are some strong mental health issues uh, around, you know, men on the land and uh, the, the the implications of drought and hard times and that sort of thing. Did you find that um, these kinds of projects helped buoy them as well? Helped give them you know, a bit of flavour to life, something other than the drought to think about. Oh, yes, definitely, without a doubt. And I think um, a lot of our projects, um, you know, particularly like, you know, the Cumnock Show, we got a, a you know, we haven't had any rain um, in this area for a long, long time. And, the, you know, the men are selling cattle and, um, you know, it looks very dismal. But, you know, we got a band on Saturday night from Sydney um, and they came out and just sort of fighting a bit of music um, to the event, you know, I guess helped to, to, for the men to stop thinking about um, things on the farm that, you know, they, they, they couldn't control. Uh, but, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the animals and bikes was a, a bit of fun relief and even like opera in the wool shed, you know, when the, the first time mm. we did it, the, some of the blokes had never even been to an opera before. Um, but when I said, you know, it's, it's a South Australian opera company and it's in English, you know, it's not in Italian, you know, they've come along and it's in a wool shed. And I think the fact we said it was in a wool shed and they could smell the wool, that maybe that made a bit of a connection. But it is hard because, you know, I think that it is a whole area of, um, I, I don't think that, you know, farmers or the local people that are going to pop down and tell their nurse or their doctor that they're having problems in these mm. communities because they know them, they've known them forever, they're probably related to them. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think it's just a really hard area to, to manage. So I do think that the subtle, I think the subtleness of events and bringing things that make you smile or make you laugh are probably so much stronger. Yes, we do need to improve um, mental health, but I don't think it is, you know, it is, it's going to be a struggle in, in these small, small communities. Um, I really don't know what the answer is. No, but do you know what? But that's that. I think that's a tremendous answer that you've just given because uh, a lot of a lot of the assistance or a lot of the really effective um, support for our men in these communities is around what happens almost by accident or by stealth. So to have happened upon such a wonderful connection and such a wonderful not a solution but something toward it, um, that that's incredible. I feel. Uh, yesterday we had um, the Zoo to Zoo bike ride that went through. Mm. So they go from, I think it's Melbourne to Canberra to the Dubbo Zoo and um, and one of the sculptures that we've got, it's a big black dog. So we're at the moment mm. we're just trying to work out, you know, maybe putting the big black dog on, you know, all of these bikes and putting it out there. It might be something that, you know, we, people can sort of relate to and smile and just think, you know, it's okay to have a, a depression. You know, you don't have to be you know, happy all your life. Everyone's sad at some, some time of their life, but, you know, mm. just carry on and kick on. And um, so I think there is, I think it's just 
I think telecommunications and things like that, you know, hopefully will improve a lot of the situations that, that people, people are in. But mm-hmm. uh, I do think it's probably getting help um, from mental um, depression professionals that are not local but are probably a phone call or an internet online Skype or something, you know, that, that's based in Sydney or Melbourne. I think that could possibly help the farmers. But then I shouldn't be, you know, I can't say that because we don't even get internet <laughs> out here sometimes. So that's a, you know, that's a problem in itself. Mm. So, um, yeah, like we only have probably internet on 25% of our farm. So, you know, that has to be improved. You know, the government really needs to, you know, start again and work out, you know, how can we, how can we help these farmers? And I do feel sorry for a lot of the young generation coming through that have all of these amazing ideas on how we can improve our, now our techniques and farming and, um, you know, all these drones coming. But, you know, we, we can't access the internet to get access to them. So all these projects that they're doing, um, it's still you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> mm. It's still limited in terms of the growth and the leverage, really, of these great mm. ideas. I mean, this is what, the, what this podcast is very much about. You know, it's some of the, the innovation and the um, sense of community and the drive for entrepreneurship that comes out of these regions are incredible. But how do you leverage that? when you haven't got the basic fundamental of internet access on, you know, 75% of your farms. I know. So hopefully that will be resolved sooner than later because I think, you know, sharing ideas and sharing all of these projects between us in regional Australia um, will help all of us and we'll um, become a much stronger community or much stronger country as well. <laughs> but it's not just Australia. It's further than that. You know, I've had uh, people from Canada and people from Ireland calling me saying, you know, how did you do the one, is there a blueprint? How did you do the dollar project? You know, what, what can I do? I mean, we're lucky in the, in the sense that we had a production company um, produce a, uh, I guess, a six-part series on it. It was all about Trundle. Um, so Salvation uh, was a salvation of a small town. So oh, I'm yeah. able to actually refer people to that. I mean, yes, it was a little bit exaggerated because it was made for television, but it really, that's, I mean, that little town Trundle's, um, six hours west of Sydney, um, but it really showed the flavour of it. So I'm able to sort of refer, you know, I guess people from other countries and other states to watch that. That'll give them a bit of a sense. So there's lots of ups and downs and um, there's lots of things to be aware of, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's so rewarding when you actually see see the results that, you know, you've, you've actually saved your, your town and you've actually saved your school or you've saved your project. So uh, I'm really curious about, I mean, you know, you've done these amazing things and I was, one of my questions was, well, what's your why for driving this? But I think you kind of already answered that. You know, you're just trying to save your community and and, um, have a place where your kids can grow up and you can grow up and the community still exists in 10 years' time as people aren't leaving the farm. That's right. That's right. And, And you want them to stay um, and you know, I guess that's that's what they love, and that's what we've loved. Um, and you know, I guess if we're going to be the the bath, the food basket of of Australia in some of these areas, then we've really got to make sure that we sort of maintain the businesses and maintain our passion for the land, um, and it doesn't fall into the hands of you know people that aren't interested in in keeping the high the high I guess level of food and standards that we have today. So food basket, tell us a little bit about um, the, the the community itself. Just give us a little bit of a snapshot as you know, why is the town worth worth saving? What's so wonderful about it? Um I think because you know it, it, we are a rural reliant town and uh, so there's a lot of wheat and um, canola and barley in the area. Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, cattle studs um, 
which is Shorthorn, um, Wagyu has been introduced in the last few years. So that seems to be a premium beef. Uh, we've got um, Black Angus. Um, we've also got a lot of sheep. Um, so we've got, I guess, the Merino. The Merino is for the wool. A lot of the wool is being so taken up to China. Um, the lamb, I guess. Uh, so there's, there's quite an array of, uh, I guess, meat, um, sheep and cropping in this area. Um, an hour away, we've got orange, and orange is, tends to be a cooler climate, so that has a lot more, um, I guess, grapes and orchards um, and cherries. A lot of that is um, is being shipped up to into Asia and around the world. So, you know, so I guess within an hour radius, there there is a lot of um, food within the Kabon um, and Orange Shires. So it's definitely worth, worth saving, <laughs> you know, so we can feed our cities and feed our, our, the world, really. <laughs> so how much of it stays local and how much is for, I, I presume most of it is either for, um, you know, domestic or international airport, uh, <laughs> export, sorry. Um, but what, uh, ha, what percentage of it is actually um, distributed locally within the local community? Um, I probably couldn't give, any, give you percentages, but uh, I know like in Manildra, we've got the Manildra group have the, um, the flour mill. Um, and the canola mills. So a lot of our canola just goes locally and you'll see it, um, Azure, the canola sitting on the shelf. Um, so that employs a, a lot of people in, uh, in the area, in that food area. Um, I think with the, with the cherries, for example, and orange, I, I think a large proportion of that go, does go up to, um, to Asia. I think with the start of some of these online giants like, um, Alibaba and Amazon, um, I think it's going to, um, add a lot of excitement to farming regions and perhaps, you know, the export will, will be able to make a lot more money in those, in those industries. Um, even with the wool, you know, there is a great, um, we went to China last year with the National Australia Bank agribusiness team and we went to some of the, the wool processing plants and looked at, you know, the wool was being processed there and, and sent to Japan and Italy for some of the brands. So you could actually see that the whole process and, um, so there's not a great deal of that wool that comes back to Australia um, within our region, but um, I think it's just a matter of time. Um, I know that, you know, the Woolworths, Coles, you'll often see the, the apples that are picked in, in Orange State are sold here in Woolworths. So you, there's a few of those. I do actually think there needs to be more of that. I sometimes think there should be a whole aisle in, in some of these huge uh, conglomerates that actually say this is all Australian-grown produce. So... Uh, but I think it's, um, yeah, I couldn't tell you what percentage it was, but hopefully it's increasing as we go. So, well, along, sort of along the same lines of, of the food, I mean, there's um, another event that um, I got involved with called the Come Knock Long White Lunch. And, you know, I think within the area they had the 100-mile dinner. They had, you know, quite a few events that the local chefs or caterers would cook with produce that was made within a 100-mile radius. So they had a very successful one in Canoundra, another one in Orange. And then last year we did the Long White Lunch and we were shocked that we had 400 people all arrive in, you know, dressed in white, ready to sample, I guess, the, the local produce that was made in the area and, and uh, second one, and, we, and it was also a fundraiser as well um, for the local community, and we made $25,000 just with the one event. So, you know, we've got the next event in April, so we're sort of gearing up for that. But, you know, little things like that, you know, people want to support local businesses. So I think anywhere from Queensland, Victoria, you know, doing things like that, the 100-mile dinner or a long white lunch with just your local produce, you know, I think people need to be doing that. And, um, you know, it's such a celebration of, of what we have and sharing what we can what we can do with it. There's a lot of these, these ideas are also about bringing attention to the regions and, you know, um, 
giving some livability and sense of community back to these regions. But I'm really interested in kind of touching back on what you were talking about with the sheep exports and things like that. So how do you think these regions on a, a larger scale can turn a profit to be a player on the global market? Or do you, are you seeing any examples of that in, in all your travels? Uh, yes, I mean, there's definitely, um, um, when we're from China, there's definitely, I guess, uh, windows of opportunity um, opened where we, we will be able to send more product into um, Asian countries. Uh, but, you know, we are up against, um, I guess, South American countries and we are up against, um, you know, Brazil with some of our meat products. So we do have to be, I guess, focused. But, you know, we have the advantage that we've got clean, green air. Um, so I think that that's what we have. We've got, I mean, there's a fellow here at the Come Knock show that was calling our lawnmower race and he is a, um, uh, sells, sells meat. He was heading off to Vietnam today. Um, so he was, you know, he's out there pitching our product. So I think we've got many, many fellows that, um, I mean, hopefully in the agribusiness that are coming through the system that will be able to go out and, and pitch our product. And honestly, the online side of it, mm. it makes it, we can actually tell our story now. We can tell the story about and look at the, look at the green paddocks that we're, you know, feeding the cattle in or, you know, look at the clean air. I remember we were in China and we looked at the shelves and think, you know, these, these Chinese products are claiming they're organic. And you sort of wondered, you know, are they really organic? Are they chemical-free when the pollution was so horrendous? So I do think there is huge opportunity. Um, we just need to sort of, I guess, make sure that we don't, uh, I guess, as an industry, each individual industry has to have their whole high standards and they have to maintain those standards so we can, you know, we can't afford to have, you know, one bad issue which will you know, damage the, the rest of the businesses for us. But I think there is huge opportunity, particularly with the onset of, of um, internet well, and also, yeah, I think creating a voice, you know, telling people about exactly those things that are actually happening. I think because we don't, you don't hear those stories very often. You hear about these great entrepreneurs and innovations coming out of the city. We don't hear that many of them coming out of the regional areas. No, well, the, but the, I guess the problem, you know, one of the fellow the Australian fellows that um, we got up and spoke as guest speaker in China, he's saying, you know, he's been doing, selling his meat into China for three years. And he said last year was my mm -hmm. worst year. He said, because, you know, one, we had um, you know, our, one of our biggest clients um, didn't pay yeah. us. So he said, you know, that's really hard. You've really got to stick yeah. with your guns and it's got, it has to be money up front or it has to be, you know, 30% deposit or 70% on delivery. So, so you've got to be so careful with the payment terms. Even if you think you're the best friend, you've got to make sure that you've got to manage that. Um, and the second thing was he said um, that, you know, some of these smaller players, you know, will repackage your Australian Australian meat, you know, put your packaging on a cheaper mm. meat that's come from another country. So he said you've really got to watch that. And then the third thing was he said that the um, one of his offices were closed down because they needed to expand. You know, he only got a week's notice. So he said it's really tricky doing businesses in, you know, um, I guess, more underdeveloped countries. Um, but she said you've got to just make sure that your your risk is is small when you go. He said there's huge returns to be made, but you've just got to, you know, mm. manage it and just make sure that you've got some people that speak the yeah. local language um, and have them on your side so there's I think that's you know I guess in my experience doing business internationally you've just got to have work with the people locally and get a, get a really good team and make sure that you've got the, the training um and ready for it but yeah this, don't go out there thinking that you're going to make a million dollars because you can lose a million dollars well it's also about spreading your risks too isn't it having a couple of different projects on the go yeah just bring it back to a domestic um setting for for a moment um how do you find, like, when you go and pitch to or, or explain one of these initiatives to our city cousins, and this isn't, we're not having a go at, at metros at all, um, but do you find that you are taken seriously? Do they do they sit up and take notice or do they go, oh, yeah, she's from the sticks? Uh, 
I think when um, when the Premier's office um, awarded the New South Wales Woman uh, Award to me, uh, I think that was quite intriguing. And, you know, what do you mean a dollar a week rent a farmhouse? And what do you mean, you know, two metre sculptures in paddocks? So, you know, I think that was, that was sort of intriguing enough. And once I sort of told them the process and, you know, why we did it and how we did it and what were the outcomes and, and showed them and told them the proof, um, I think they got it. But it was definitely... Um, a bit weird and wonderful to them initially. Um, a little I went bit to... quaint. <laughs> <laughs> so I think some of them thought I was a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but once you sort of, I guess, you know, I think the people that really don't get it are the ones that probably aren't involved or um, engrossed in a community themselves because once you know that you've got everybody on your side and we're all working for a co- towards a common goal, um, then it's a really easy project um, to do. Um I spoke at the CWA um, national conference in in Port Macquarie, and you no, know, that was all the la- all those ladies got it. <laughs> they was going, you know, can you come and do that in our town? And I said, well, you have actually got someone in your town that could do it. You know, I'm happy to talk to them. So, you know, I think that's everybody in the country definitely gets it. Um, and the city people, you know, I think the more that they read about it and understand it, and that's you know, the, the Sydney Morning Herald or the um, Daily Telegraph or any of these media groups, you know, they'll they're always willing to put us, you know, a good news story forward and to teach the city folk, you know, what we're doing at here. So they're always very supportive. I love to teach the city folk. I like that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do I. That's Actually, we want a lot of those city folk to move out here. So, you know, we want yeah. the plumbers and electricians and, you know, the tradies to, to move out here because, you know, they're the ones we're missing. I just want to come back to that point that you're making around CWA. You know, we, we asked, we've had this conversation with some of our guests that, you know, there's been a loss of those sort of organisations like CWA out of the regions. And, you know, you've, you've gone and done this talk and someone says, can you come and do it for me? And you say, well, there is somebody in the, in the region that, or in your town that can, you, you can do it. Do you think that there's less and less people that are being advocates for this in these regional towns just because their life has got busier? There's just so much more that we need to deal with now. Do you think that's affected that? Uh, yeah, there probably is, um, I guess, more and more that you sort of have to deal with. Um, you know, I had these grand plans of, you know, starting up my own business and next thing you know, I met my husband, had twin boys and a girl and I really couldn't do anything. So I had yeah. a, And you had a farm to run. So I just had to you know, drop out for about five years. So, you know, there's things like that. You just go, you know, it's okay not to have a grand plan. You can just have to put it on hold and then come back to it. Um, I mean, not a lot mm. does change in these small communities over that time, um, you know, which is good and bad. But, um, you know, I think there is... Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I do think that there's maybe some of the, the you know the larger properties being sold to larger international companies. Perhaps they're not as passionate as as you know I guess the local bloke that's trying to maintain his businesses, and maybe there's a bit of flavour yeah. um, left there. But no, I do actually think you know a lot of these regional remote communities. You know, there, there's still a lot of passion there, and you know we, we want the girls so they can go off and, and get their skill, the girls or the boys to go off and get their skills. Um, you know, have their fun in, in the city or college and then bring them back to the country. So, you know, I have noticed there's a lot, a lot of that happening. We've just had the Department of Primary Industry, you know, move into Orange. So, you know, they've relocated out of the city into central New South Wales. Um, we've just had Macquarie mm. Bank, you know, that the Paraway, which is the agriculture arm, they've just relocated from the city out to Orange. Where really their customers are. So yeah. some of those businesses that are moving, um, you know, out of the cities, you know, I think that's to our advantage because, you know, they are originally country people relocating the businesses back out um, to where, you know, they grew up 
their child, they have a wonderful, you know, I guess happy childhood and that's what they want for their children. It sounds easy, but it's not like, not that easy, is it? <laughs> to persuade them to come out. No, it's not. It's all about creating momentum too, I think, in these, you know, and all of the, I mean, you, you, you did that years ago and then yourself and obviously your compatriots sort of continue with that momentum. And I think that's the key. And I've seen that in all the regional towns I've lived in that great ideas get started, but often they die because the moment people leave and the momentum stops. So those core drivers within the town. Um, leave or, you know, get, get frustrated with the whole process and, uh, you know, these wonderful events and things that actually occur kind of die. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, we learned earlier on that we thought, well, um, particularly when we were on, you know, the PNCs together, we thought, you know, you ha- there's three, you know, if you've got three people in your team, that's enough to sort of get a project started. It was very challenging to get a project started um, just with one passionate, passionate person or even two. So, you know, and then, you know, starting an event, whether it was just, you know, the preschool there we had to make sure that we also did the swap meet on the same day and we also had to have um you know a auction or something or a cake stall and so we tried to do things in three and because you sort of be able to attract I guess three different demographics three different people and so that tends to if you just had one event you never really got that much momentum so I think we learned early early in the day that you sort of have to try to get as many people in the communities involved at the, those different levels. Like even at the show day, you know, um, families moved over from South Africa and it's like, well, here's the, you know, here's the barbecue tongs, the meat's in the fridge, and you cook for the next two hours. You know, <laughs> and they love bed. it. So it's just about yeah. being involved, but they just have to be asked. And sometimes people are a bit nervous and a bit scared to come forward. So it is just sort of having um, – my husband's very good at including people and, you know, they've got a very strong tennis and squash team here. 50 people playing because he rings them up and says, you know, you're playing Tuesday night. <laughs> so, and, and it's, again, it's much easier now as well than because you've got the access of email and you've got the access of your phone. So it probably yeah. is much easier than it was 20 years ago to, to gather a bit of um, momentum and community spirit. But it is about, yeah, including the community yeah. and getting everybody involved and giving them a job. Yeah. On that note, your most recent project is Opera in the Wool Shed. Is that right? How did that come about? Um, one of the uh, – it's only about 20 kilometres away, made this big wool shed and, and they called it the Opera House because it was so big. So then we had uh, this the South Australian company called Co-Opera and, um, and they tour around Australia going to all these – you know, that's their focus is yep. to go to all these little communities and, um, you know, I guess share the, share the music that we would normally get. Um, so we've started what is opera in the woolshed.com.au and, uh, and we've got 300 people come along. So it was all, we thought, well, we'll have a we'll be boot, car boot picnic first. So they come and have a little car boot picnic and then they come up, um, into the woolshed and, and sit down and watch. So now it's been a lot of fun. So we've, um, actually, this is our third time that we've done it. So yeah, next month it's the, the Barber of Seville. And it's, you know, we, we try to keep it maintained. It's only $55 a ticket. So I think that was also very important that we that keep the prices down. Mm. Um, you know, this, this is the first time that I've been confronted with um, the challenges of people from Sydney want to come and, you know, can they, is there a bus that we can catch from Orange out wow. here to go to Opera in the Woolshed? <laughs> so, it's a bit like BNS. <laughs> can catch a bus from the city to go and join the BNS. They've got the Sydney, Sydney Harbour Opera House, you know. Well, coming from Parks, you know, Parks is where the radio telescope is and also more, more recently yeah. the, the Elvis Festival. Exactly. And, you know, the reason that, you know, the Parks Elvis Festival has become so popular is because they started the trains, you know, the Elvis train coming from Sydney and they started yeah. the buses. and It's a whole event. You know, yeah. I think that by 
paying that one lady in the Park Shire to, you know, manage the whole Elvis tourist business, you know, that was, that's been a huge success. I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous the number of people that come into parks. And, you know, it's the hot, it's, Jan, it's the first weekend in January. It's the hottest month of the whole year. So. <laughs> but they come to um, the Elvis Festival and then they all, in their caravans, they all head up to the Tamworth um, Country Music Jamboree. So it's sort of you yeah. know, on the grey nomad yeah. route. But, you know, it's little things like that. You just have to um, embrace it and, you know, you can see how little things, you know, turn into big things with a bit of um, community and passion. Oh, most people would dream of having 300 people turn up to an event when they run an event. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> True that. One of the, one of the, it's good probably, sorry, it's, sorry, Meredith, it's good to have actually someone who's behind it, like yourself, who actually knows how to get to market too. I think that's the other thing, you know, I've, I've come from a marketing background as well, and it's understanding how to get the message out there. Um, often, you know, uh, I actually just saw Outback um, hubs are doing a tour around the Outback and trying to build uh, digital champions in the region. So, and part of that is to actually educate these communities on how to get their message out and on the new, this new paradigm of social media. Well, I mean, it's not new, but it might be for some people in that region and it's, you know, it's not the Bush Telegraph anymore. There's a different way of actually getting that message out. So I think uh, it's Outback Hubs that are actually doing this to try and uh, drive up digital literacy in these regions so that they can actually... Uh, you know, get this message out and run these type of things and event and, and people can hear about it. Oh, that's right. And it's as simple as, um, I mean, Facebook marketing or Facebook advertising, like just by going in and just like picking the word, anybody that types in opera, you know, within a 200-kilometre radius of Cumnock, I want to, you know, opera in the woolshed ad popping up on in, in next to them. So, you yeah. know, a lot of people don't know that, but it's really quite easy to actually do a lot of your target audience and, and attract those people because they've already expressed interest. Um, so, yeah, I think it is, again, I think it is much easier. It's just that we need probably need more workshops um, and, you know, more mm. things um, out here to actually teach the, teach them how to do that because That's it right. is expensive. You know, yeah. last year I was going to Sydney so I could do a, a leadership course and you just thought, oh, I wish it was, you know, out here in Orange and Dubbo would have been so much cheaper to attend and more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I had to go yeah. to Sydney to, to attend it. So, you know, even those things, Facebook marketing or I think that need, there needs to be more more workshops. And, I mean, even the TAFE courses, a lot of the TAFE courses have closed down yeah. as well, which, you know, annoyed, makes me annoyed in this area. Well, we saw the same thing in the Pilbara. Um, you know, a lot of those kind of what they call soft skills training Stop being delivered by the TAFE. It was just still very engineering and mining focused, which was, you know, a real issue. People had to travel to Perth, which cost a fortune, you know, international flight just about to go down to Perth and go and do it. I know. That's right. So I do, I still think they need to, you know, reinvigorate. Um, yeah, a lot of those TAFE courses and bring them back. So we've been talking a lot about marketing and and bringing people to the events, but I mean, obviously, a key um, a key to the success of of any of the projects you've been involved in, um, even those that probably don't rely as heavily on um, that to market sort of uh, promotion, um, is partnerships and you know, leveraging off them. It's a bit of a recurring theme uh, across uh, all of the guests and conversations we've had on the on the show. How did you initially start building those partnerships and then how did you get to the point of leveraging off them? Uh, yes, well, so something like um, the Rent a Farmhouse $1 a week project. Um, so some of those partnerships, um, like, for example, some of the houses hadn't been lived in for 10 to 20 years. So um, I had to get Kabon Council to come in and, and do um, a health and safety 
uh, report. They had to get them to do an asbestos report, you know, and talk about what was required in the house before we sort of, so, you know, I had to have the partnership of, um, Kabon Council. Um, we then got in a, some of the farmers wanted, um, legal documents, you know, they wanted to, to sign, but it sort of didn't fit into the, you know, the standard residential tenancy agreement. So then we had to, you know, get a, a legal company to, you know, volunteer their time to create, you know, an agreement which, um, you know, because it went outside, it was only a dollar a week, we had to incorporate, I think it was a portion of land that they had to be planting native trees and improving to sort of, you know, make it look like more of a um, a farming, a farm rather than just a single house. So, you know, that we had to sort of partner with them. Then what was our other partnership? We had to... Um, Oh yeah, the school, the schools had to be on a board because, you know, we had all these families arriving. Um, so we had to have, the school had to have an open day to, to show the families. Um, we sort of had to have everybody, you know, the, the pub that were getting phone calls going, we want to move into a dollar house. So, you know, we were inundated. So we had to have all the partnerships with all of the, I guess, the local businesses to be on board and, um, and everybody had to be fully aware of what we were trying to achieve. And, you know, they couldn't just turn up at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning expect to see the house so you know it did involve I guess everybody being on the on the on the same page gosh I mean it definitely there was probably so many partnerships but it's just going through and saying okay what do we need um to make this happen and how can it, this this work um in a logical manner um with and so achieve success and I think so I think it is very important to sit down and look at your partnerships I mean and the same thing with animals and bikes looking at, at our partnerships because we had to you know, speak to the farmer and ask the farmer if he would let the sculpture go into his paddock um you know if he wasn't happy about the sculpture going in the paddock then we had to move to the next farmer um, and then you know speaking to council to make sure that we weren't putting the sculptures on um, sharp corners or double lines you know in dangerous road areas so you know it was um, definitely looking at all of those and the risks involved with every single project. But I think as long as you do your research up front and you've got, you're involving everybody's point of view within the community, it's sort of a big help. Mm. You know, the, I guess sometimes it can be, you know, the more, the more opinions you get, it does get a bit complicated. <laughs> Too many cooks can spoil the broth. So you just sort of just have to sometimes just break it right down. It's like, okay, um, we just want to, we don't want to put too many rules in place because otherwise we'll get no, you know, no entries, no feedback. But little things like, um, you know, the, a lot of the farmers said, you know, we don't want these, you know, these dogs, the, the dogs yeah. that, you know, I guess the, the ones that are, are trained, um, bull mastiffs, we don't want any of them. So, you know, that was had to be one of the questions. Um, do you have any pets um, and what breed are they? So if anyone you know, came back with, you know, Arabian bull mastiff or something, the answer was no straight up. So, you mm. know, it was pretty easy. So once you sort of go through all of those and you, you work out what farmers want and what they don't want, then it's quite easy to, to, to match them up then. But, um, yes, without a doubt, you definitely need need the partnerships and the strength of, of people. But, again, you know, we had a, an email, a newsletter that all went to all of our partnerships and all the people involved, and we would we'd send um, that out once a week so everybody was on the same page. Um, I was At that stage, I was writing... Um, a story in the land as well um, once a month. So, you know, it wasn't just our little area that knew what was happening. It was all of the people that get the land in New South Wales. They were sort of intrigued what was happening. Um, you know, were these people staying? Were they going? What were they looking for? So 
you know, it's all about, I guess, the communication of it as well led to the success of the project. So, Christine, one of the things that uh, we like to do is to try and get into the psyche of our amazing doers that we interview because a lot of people hear these stories and go, oh, you know, I want to, I, I need to take on some of those characteristics and some of those behaviours. I need to actually start to, you know, I want to become a doer. I want to actually make a change in my community. So probably the one question that we, we like to ask all our guests is if you could write a letter to yourself when you were starting out, with that advice, wisdom and counsel, what would you say? I think it's more about, you know, it's, it's okay to change your direction when you're mid-flight. And, you know, probably so many times, you know, and that's probably with my business psychic when I was working overseas, you do a, you know, a marketing plan or a business plan and then you're thinking, right, I don't want to deviate too much. But, you know, I think in, in regional Australia when you have so many so many obstacles, particularly mm. when it doesn't rain, that sometimes you do have to change your, change your route, change your direction. But... Um, again, it's, it's probably not, not sort of accepting more than you can cope with. You know, I think so many times I, you know, I probably struggled with saying no and probably took on too much a couple of times. So you just said, I said, I'd step back and go, okay, I just really need to achieve one thing today <laughs> and then that's it. So I guess, you know, when you've got 10 things and the list and you go, right, yeah, I can't do that all today. So, you know, you sometimes have to sort of step, take a step back and just, um, what do they say, you know, go up on the podium and just look down on the project and then just reassess uh, where it is and just go, all right, we'll just do one thing at a time and take things slowly and, you know, we we'll, may not achieve our goal in six months but we'll achieve our goal in 18 months. So I think some of those things is probably go a bit slower than um, my pace. Um <laughs> And probably that was probably, you know, working overseas and having deadlines um, and products and projects had to be completed. And I was probably a bit strict there. But, you know, I think moving back into the country, I had to slow myself down a bit. And that's probably why I had twins to stop me. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) I mean, not that I know, but, yeah, apparently. (laughs) I know. So, you know, the children are, you know, and also the children love being, you know, being involved and being a part of it as well. You know, when we were doing the waste to art and um, projects, you know, how do you convert, you know, garbage into art? You know, that they're, you know, the children want to be all a part of that and, and be involved. So that's very rewarding as well. And I think that's, you know, I guess by seeing your little projects come to fruition and, you know, making everybody happy is, you know, very rewarding. Do you think they'll come back on the land, your children? Uh, all three of them said they want to be farmers. I hope that they might go and do something before they do that. Maybe they'll go off and um, get some experience and, you know, whether it's um, as a meat buyer or a meat seller or a wool classer, um, you know, hopefully they'll get a skill or a trade up their sleeve before they sort of make the decision um, to come back. back. Mm. Yeah. Well, Chris, Christine, it's been fantastic talking to you today. One of the things that we also like to do on Project Leap is is consider the the takeaways that um, that we've taken from each conversation, and we we hope and we we actually plan our interviews around our um, our guests sharing their knowledge and their their wisdom. And um, the thing I guess that resonated most with me today is the, like early on you said about setting a goal, um, and then you followed up a little later by saying you know that that's going to change and you've you've got to be flexible and you've got to be able to know that you know you can have a plan but it doesn't have to be set in concrete and then 
just in that last answer, you said um, it's okay to change direction mid-flight. Well, I think that a lot of um, innovators and, and entrepreneurs starting out, they think, okay, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to do. This is where I'm going. You know, the, the famous five-year plan that you have when you get out of uni, for instance, or out of high school. I, I think that's such sage advice for anyone, um, no matter what field they're in, because you've got to be able to evolve. You've got to be able to be malleable enough to, to say, okay, well, this is where I'm at now, but who knows where I'll be in five years' time. So, so, um, yeah, thanks for that little morsel of wisdom. It was uh, very well received, I think. Tara, what about you? What was your big takeaway today? Uh, I can't thank you enough, Christine. I love listening to you and I could actually listen to you for another hour and, you know, whatever it was, four years ago we came out and spent a weekend with you on your wonderful property at Cumnop and, and your husband took me for a, a flight and a plane across the paddocks and I just went, wow, this is this is where people actually make a difference in, in Australia, particularly in these regional areas and, uh, you know, I was impressed then and, and blown away again today and, and thank that I know someone like you to kind of shake my tree occasionally in terms of my mindset so you're an incredible woman and so um you know i hope you continue doing the things that you're doing out 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 there so thanks for joining us today thank you very much tara well you'll laugh when i tell you my next project which is probably next year is (laughs) farmschool.com.au because we've got a a homestead with um 10 bedrooms and i thought right i'm going to start doing this up and that's right teaching people how to shear a sheep and now go and do some fencing and we've got two french backpackers at the moment um working with us and um they're here, out here for their 88 days of regional work so they can get their second year visa and you know that the stories and the things that they love just makes me laugh and i just think right i really need to get this this farmhouse sorted and organized so maybe that's my, yeah. my next year's project you were telling me about that vision four years ago so <laughs> that's, i'd be looking forward to coming out again in about two years time and seeing <laughs> that's right please come and visit when i'm fantastic <laughs> I think we all will. I think every, all of Australia will be wanting to come Bring and visit. So, but on that note, thank you, Christine. And um, look, as you've heard, um, we could talk to Christine all day and then some, but all of the links to her projects uh, will be on our social media as well as on our website. So um, we can all go back and have a, a good old look around these projects and um, and see the big difference that Christine has made. Um, just before we do go, I'd like to make another big um, thanks to our partners. Um, and look, you know, again, Amanda Power Digital, A Thousand Invisible Threads, uh, iScribe Consulting, Kaizen Media and Purple Wax. Without uh, these businesses and organisations, we wouldn't be here. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you to you, our wonderful crew and listeners who come along every edition and uh, stick with us. Please continue to share us, like us, love us, whatever us on uh, social media. And I'll just jump in and say, if you know anybody and may uh, know any incredible doers in your region or, um, you know, remote, regional, if you know any doers, in your rural, remote, our regional area, we want we want to know about them. Um, you know, Meredith and I have a pretty broad network, so we're sort of working our way through our contacts and interviewing some amazing people that we know about. But we know that you would know some people as well, so please let us know. Well, that's it for another program. Join Meredith Pappas and Tara Jacobson-Nevin for their next episode via your favourite podcast platform. And stay in touch with the stories of people making great things happen in and around the regional, rural and remote regions of Australia. If you have a story to tell, if you are a doer or know someone who is, 
someone who's making a difference as an innovator or entrepreneur in the sticks, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via our Project Leap social platforms on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. And be sure to catch every past episode and some great background on our guests at our website, project-leap.com.au. In the meantime, though, thanks for being a part of the Project Leap journey. And we'll catch you next time.